When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 68 of the podcast, and so glad you could join me for it. We're getting back into our regular rotation now. We're going to be talking a lot about prospects. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, got some interesting kind of thought exercises to go through as well uh, with some of the things. You know, we had the NHL Central Scouting Rankings come out. We'll talk a little bit about that. We've got a lot of questions from listeners. Also going to talk a little bit about the Women's World Under-18 Championship, which was kind of a watershed event for for women's hockey and the future of women's hockey based on some of the things that happened there. did want to spend a little bit of time on that and uh, because there, there was a, a phenomenal performance there that if you are a fan of hockey, you need to know about. Um, so we'll get to that shortly, uh, but also wanted to spend some time. We're going to talk a little bit about goaltending in this particular episode because an interesting thing happened um, when I tweeted about Sebastian Costa, who's been playing for the Toledo Walleye in the ECHL, former first-round draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings, playing in his first season of professional hockey, was named as a replacement to the ECHL All-Star Game, which you can see on Flow Sports. By the time this you listen to this podcast, it will likely have already happened, but you can always catch the replay as well. Um, but that is going to be, uh, you know, Sebastian Costa's playing in that. And I was surprised by the reaction. A lot of people were wondering why he was invited. His numbers aren't that good this year. There was a lot of comparing and contrasting him and, and Jesper Wallstedt. So we're going to do that on this podcast. We're going to talk about Sebastian Costa versus Jesper Wallstedt, who was drafted five picks after Costa, despite being largely the consensus top goalie in his draft year. And... I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics to kind of get into that whole process. And so I wanted to spend some time on that. So we'll talk about that as well. Before we get into everything, as always, I want to remind you, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast on your app of choice, you can also watch it on flowhockey.tv. And now you can watch it on YouTube as well. So if you are on YouTube, you can catch it there. You can get it on the Flow Hockey app. Um, or the Flow Sports app uh, on your TV, wherever you want to watch. If you really want to see this face huge on your TV, and I don't know why you would want to do that, but if you do, you can. And so thank you if you do, and God help you also if you do. Uh, but anyway, um, really excited to, to kind of continue on with this podcast, and, and, and we're going to be doing more things over the course of time, and obviously want to get it to you in as many ways as possible. So starting with last week's episode, you can now get this on YouTube. If that's another avenue, you can just search for Flow Hockey. We have our own channel on YouTube. There hasn't been a lot on it recently, but that is going to change. There's going to be a lot more, including highlights and other things. So make sure you check that out on YouTube and also follow all of our social media accounts. We're in the process of revamping all of that right now. Um, so at Flow Hockey, 
Um, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. There will be more coming your way on those avenues. And also this week, I wanted to let you know that we are going to have a very special new uh, original mini, docu doc mini documentary that we did a few weeks back, or a few months back rather, with the Toledo Walleye. Now, Toledo is one of the most popular teams in the ECHL. Last year, they made it to the the, the final, the Kelly Cup finals, ended up losing to the Florida Everblades. And they were a really interesting team for a number of reasons, but we went into their training camp. We met with a number of their players. You get a good feel for what it takes to make an ECHL team. It also gives you a really good feel for what those players are like in that league. It's an undercover league. We have all their games, super excited. Going through that process with Toledo and spending some time with them and even rode the bus back from a road trip with them. Um, you know, it's it's just a great look inside of an ECHL team and and just a team in general. And you get, get a chance for, to get a feel for the characters. So you'll be able to see that on flowhockey.tv. That'll also eventually end up on YouTube, uh, but it'll be out this week on flowhockey.tv. Should be out midweek. Make sure you check out all of our social channels to see where that is uh, because it is a super uh, fun and interesting look at a team that maybe you didn't really think about. And so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to produce, and I hope that you guys really enjoy watching it. All right, now I want to get to some of the topics at hand for the day. And again, subscribe on, on your app of choice. And if you really, it would really be helpful to get a five-star rating and a written review on your app of choice. Just it does help move the podcast up the charts. You see little bumps here and there when you guys are are adding ratings and reviews. So if you enjoy the podcast, please do uh, review it and rate it because it does help. All right, moving on. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Women's World Under 18 Championship. Canada won gold. Sweden won silver, the host country, upsetting the U.S. in the semifinals uh, by a 2-1 score. And then they take the silver and a loss to Canada in the, in the championship game. USA ends up beating Finland for bronze. But the story of this tournament, the lasting memory of this tournament will not be who won or lost. It'll be about one player in particular, and that is Nila Lepusinova, who was the MVP of the tournament. She had the she was the leading scorer of the tournament, 12 points in five games, playing for Slovakia. She is 14 years old. She is playing, a, a, she was a 14-year-old in an under-18 tournament, and she was the best player. Um, you probably saw, if you were on social media at all last week, her Michigan-style goal, uh, the, the lacrosse-style little flip. She is the first woman to pull it off in double IHF competition, and she's 14 years old. I mean, it's it's really remarkable. So we've talked a lot about women's hockey in in kind of like, where is it going? What's next? She's next. That, at least that's what it appears to be. And you try not to put too much pressure on a 14-year-old, but so many of the top stars of women's hockey over the years have been American or Canadian. And maybe that's because they're the best producers of talent. They're the deepest. They have the most options. They have the most athletes. But to see a player like Nila Lapusanova come through and take this tournament by storm at an incredibly young age, you know, she's going to be eligible to play in this tournament a few more times. It's it's amazing to see, and it's great for the women's game to have more global stars. Now we there are there have been global stars before. Nora Ratu, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, is a Finnish player. You know, the, there's there's so many other uh, uh, different. You know, Kim Martin is another one from Sweden who who was a was a superstar. Florence Schelling from Switzerland. A lot of them have been goaltenders. There haven't been as many skaters. 
Um, but we're seeing that now. Uh, you know, there's Alina Mueller as well from Switzerland. She's a great superstar of the game. But we're looking at Nila Lapusanova and saying, you know, Slovakia hasn't had much of uh, success at the women's hockey level. Now she comes in at 14 years old, and she's the best player, and not just uh, among Canadians and 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 Americans. It's just to see that happen is is pretty crazy. And also playing at the senior women's level in Slovakia, I'm not exactly sure, kind of what that league is like, but she has 25 points in six games in that league. So uh, pretty incredible. So remember that name, Nila Pusanova. She's going to be a superstar, and it's great. And, and women's hockey is continuing to grow in popularity. We'll also see four professional women's hockey players playing in the ECHL All-Star Classic. That's been something they've done for the last few years. It's great to get those players involved, to give them an opportunity to play alongside um, the ECHL players, and also you know they showcase their leagues and their talent. Um, among men's professional players, which is really fun to see, um, you know, and and we're still waiting to see what's going to happen on the, in the professional ranks. I, I had a conversation recently, you know, just about the confusion of of, of professional hockey. There's the, pro, the Premier Hockey Federation. There's the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association, um, you know, that that are kind of competing a little bit for women's hockey supremacy in terms of the professional ranks and we hope that that gets sorted out because the sooner that that does get sorted out i think the sooner that this game can grow and move forward it's just you know i'm certainly not educated enough to have solutions for it but when you see a young player like nila lapusanova come through and just cut through and, and have this you know transformational kind of tournament where we were just talking about Connor bedard and all the great things that he did to see what this young lady did in this massive tournament and in a big setting at 14 years old Future is very bright, and she'll be a big part of it, so really excited about that. All right, moving on, we want to talk a little bit about goaltending. I tease it a little bit at the top. And Sebastian Kosa and Jesper Wallstedt were both drafted in the 2021 draft. They were drafted five picks apart. Now, I had Wallstedt ranked ahead of Kosa in that year. That has not changed, and my opinion on that has not changed. However, the Detroit Red Wings took a bet on upside. They drafted Kosa. Six foot six goaltender, extremely athletic and quick. Did a lot, you know. Didn't have necessarily the cleanest technique, but he did a really. He 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 made a lot of great plays, great saves, and he is a very interesting player. He helped win a WHL title with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Now he's playing in his per, first year professionally um, in in North America. Jesper Wallstedt, first year professionally in North America, though he played professionally in Sweden. Wallstedt kind of went straight to the AHL. Kosa did go start in the AHL, but he was sent to the ECHL because Detroit has a, a bit of a logjam at the goaltending position, and they just waived Alex Nedeljkovic, so that leaves even less time if he clears waivers and goes down to Grand Rapids. So there's no time for, for Kosa. So that's why he's with Toledo right now, and he's played in 24 games. He's played a lot of games, and that's good. His numbers don't look amazing. I would say, you know, in that first year, don't necessarily look strictly at the save percentage. Look at the, if do they have good games and bad games? That's always going to happen. If you look at Sebastian Kosa and the way that he's played this year, and I just want to just go on a slight tangent about this year's performance. He's had some incredible games this season where he was the difference between his team winning and losing. He's had some games where he's given up a lot of goals. It wasn't very good. That's going to happen at the professional level, especially for a young goaltender, especially for a guy that's come straight from junior. And I will say that in 
both the, this is true in throughout hockey as you go up the ranks, you know, the defense is not as good at the junior level. It's not really until you get to the NHL level where you're getting that elite level defense in front of you where the game moves kind of as it should. Um, and so that's kind of been the adjustment, I think, for Kosa is that he's going to see a lot of shots in the NHL. He's going to see a lot of high danger chances. And so what he does with those is still very much, you know, he, he has to kind of go through that and, and, and there are going to be the, those ups and downs. Wallstead's played 19 total games so far in the AHL level. He's had a really good run. He's got a 9-10 save percentage, which doesn't, you know, doesn't blow your cap back or anything like that. It's, it's just a very good um, uh, save percentage for a rookie goaltender in that league. He does have a shutout. He just recently had a shutout. And he also has a goal scored this year, um, which he scored very early this season in the AHL, which was kind of amazing to see a, a rookie with uh, the bravado to take a shot and score. Did that against the Chicago Wolves. And one of my favorite things about that, if you find the clip, there is a Chicago Wolves fan who is just absolutely disgusted and leaves his seat immediately after the the the, the goalie goal. And I, I've seen a few goalie goals in person. And it's always like whether it's for the team that you're cheering for or not, it's really cool. But this, I just love the the fandom of that one guy. He throws his hands up, he walks out, and he's like, "That's it, I'm out of here." Um, and I, I just love the passion of fans. But that's one of my favorite parts of that clip is to see that fan. So if you do see it, check that out. But to get back to these two players, they're going to be forever intertwined, and they are going to forever be compared and contrasted because. Detroit has often been a very aggressive on the draft. They are often chasing upside. And in that, they went Kosa over Wallstead. And I think you could ask anybody at the time, who was the better goaltender at the time? And I think you might even find some people in the Red Wings that would have said Wallstead was the better goalie. The question is, who is going to be the better goalie long-term? With Kosa, the Red Wings willingly took on more risk because Wallstead is the more polished, more accomplished, and also had the professional experience. So that's why he felt safer. The Red Wings went with Kosa, who was bigger, quicker, and also didn't have the same level of technique. Now, the Red Wings have a lot of, uh, they're one of the teams that has, you know, a, a dedicated goalie evaluator. They have somebody that, 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 that runs their goaltending, you know, in terms of training and everything else. They, they are in constant contact. You know, they, that's something that came over from Tampa as well that, you know, Steve Eiserman had in Tampa. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of infrastructure in place for the development of a goaltender, which is why I think they're a little more comfortable taking swings. Um, and you'll re also recall that, the goaltender that, that Steve Eiserman drafted first in the first round with Tampa Bay is Andre Vasilevsky, who's one of the very best in the game right now. Also much more accomplished at the time of his draft. Um, so not quite trying to say that Kosa is going to be Vasilevsky because I don't think that's necessarily the case. But but I but the thing is, is when we were so they were drafted two years ago, 2021. We're constantly evaluating these players, and, and Wallstead has continued to achieve at a high level. That's not unexpected. It's not unexpected that he was going to be better initially than Kosa. And I still think that of the two players, Wallstead is going to be the better goaltender long term. I've seen him play so many times going back to when he was 16 years old and seeing that he just looks the part of an elite goaltender. 
Sebastian Cosa has had some great moments in his career already. And, and I've watched some of his games with Toledo, and I see an NHL starting goaltender still. That does not change. I think it's there is a he has a longer timeline. It is going to take him longer to get there. He needs to get through this ECHL season. He'll probably play in the AHL all of next season. And maybe after that, he'll be ready for the NHL. Maybe. Some goalies are going to take a little bit longer to matriculate. And I think he was always going to take longer. So I don't think it's necessarily fair to judge, based on this season, Wallstedt versus Kosa. Like I've said before, I had Wallstedt rated higher. I had Kosa also rated in the first round. But I had Wallstedt higher. So I do still think that he's the better player. But again, judging these goaltenders based on what they're doing this season... Now, whilst that's an AHL all-star, Kosa's an ECHL all-star, that they're, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, Wallstep might get to the NHL faster. Almost certainly he will get there faster than Kosa. That doesn't mean that Kosa's not going to be the guy that the Red Wings think that he is. So I wanted to spend some time today because I think that there's a lot of, you know, we, we want players to get there so fast. And there are going to be players that do that. And then there are going to be players like Kosa who have a tremendously high ceiling, but it's going to take longer to get there. And so it was always going to be faster for for Wallstead. He was always going to look better in these first couple of years. If he still looks better five years down the road, then yeah, we'll say, okay, well, obviously Detroit picked the wrong goalie. But I still think that Sebastian Kosa is well on his way to a strong NHL career, and I have a lot of belief in that player based on what I've seen this year, even though the numbers aren't amazing, and over his entire body of work. So that's just I, – I was, I was, it was interesting because as I tweeted about Wallstead, or Kosa making the All-Star team, it was kind of funny how it was a lot of Red Wings fans kind of complaining that he was getting that opportunity – um, just because they didn't think his numbers were that good. But I think, again, um, he's, he was a replacement. He wasn't a first ballot guy, you know, so he was a replacement. So it wasn't like he got in clean. But at the same time, um, I do think that he's a deserving player for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that he's the number one NHL prospect playing in the ECHL this year. He's by far the highest profile prospect playing in the league. And I think that the league should do that to get those players into the into the game when they have them. Um, because it's a great opportunity to showcase. Now, it's a it's going to be a three-on-three tournament, and it's not a goaltending exhibition by any means, uh, but at the same time, you know that honor, I feel, is deserved for Kosa, not just because of his reputation as a first-round pick, but because I've watched a lot of games this year that he stole them for Toledo, and Toledo has needed him to steal some games for them this year, even though they are one of the better teams. So, uh, But that is my, 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 my little goaltending kind of, compare and contrast because I think they're two fascinating players and I think they're both on really good trajectories and I'm, I'm excited to see where they go next, but they are going to be forever intertwined forever compared and contrasted. And either way, I think both teams, the Minnesota wild and the Detroit Red Wings are going to be extremely happy with the goaltenders they got. And also the Edmonton Oilers are maybe going to be wondering why the heck they traded out of the slot that would have gotten them. Jesper Wallstead. I still don't, that is still one of the most puzzling things I've seen on a draft day is that a, a team that had a, a, a shallow goaltending pipeline passed on an elite goaltender in a position that they've really struggled to lock down for the last several years. And again, I, I 
I will never really understand that because I do think that Wallstead is uh, is special. Um, but I do think Costa is special too. So maybe that Costa was the guy that they wanted, and when he wasn't there, they just said, "Ah, okay, we're out." But either way, that's the way it goes. So goaltenders very uh, tricky to evaluate, but I think those are two guys that will be very good down the road. All right, going to move on a little bit and talk about. The USHL, because there were actually two major trades. So we talked a lot last week about the CHL trade deadline and the insanity that that was. Um, teams in the USHL actually have time. I think it's, it's about February 6th is is when they have time to make deals. And so uh, Madison Capitals, which are in last place in the USHL, started their kind of rebuild process by shipping out some of their bigger name players. And that that started this last week, and so there were two major trades involving the Madison Capitals in the USHL involving NHL draft picks. The first one, the Chicago Steel acquired Quinn Finley, who was a New York Islanders draft pick, um, in exchange for Jack Brandt and two draft picks. Uh, Finley has is is highly skilled. He played in the he, he was one of the best players in the Clark Cup playoffs last year, which I think is the big reason that they wanted to get him. But also Finley. In a year, Madison went dormant during the um, the COVID season or the season where the season right after when everything picked up, they went dormant for one season. And so Finley actually played for the Chicago Steel. So this is a player that they're familiar with. He's a guy that, you know, he was a young 16-year-old on that team then, wasn't really ready for, you know, the NA or the USHL grind, but he was a contributor in their regular season team. Didn't play much, uh, didn't play at all, I don't think, in the playoffs with them when they won the Clark Cup but he was part of that group. Last year, big time push forward. He was really good in the playoffs. And now Chicago, which has four of the top five scorers in the USHL on their roster, now just added another scoring threat to the mix. So the rich get richer in that regard. Meanwhile, the trade, uh, another big trade, the Waterloo Blackhawks having a really phenomenal season. They've got some really good players throughout, but they definitely needed help in the scoring department. They go out and get Miko Matika, who is, he'll just be there for this part of the season. Then he's going to the University of Denver next year. Quinn Finley's going to Wisconsin next year. Matika is the fourth leading scorer in the USHL. Considering the fact that he's doing that on a last place team just tells you how well he's played. He's a six foot three forward. He's got size. He was a draft pick of the Arizona Coyotes. And now he's going to Waterloo. That costs Waterloo Oliver Flynn and two draft picks. And so the draft picks are really what Madison was after. They're going to have a chance to get some young prospects into their system and develop them. And, you know, for a team that played in the championship series last year, uh, it's always difficult to, to have such a, a down season, even though I thought that they had enough good players to potentially uh, com- compete this year. But those, you know, we don't often see in the, the USHL does not have a ton of trades, and that's kind of by design. They, they, they especially don't have a lot of trades in season. Um, since they are a league that's more on the college track, you know, they try to keep that stability with those players. But, you know, when these kinds of trades happen, it's usually everybody's kind of agreeing that this is the right thing. Um, and so for Matika, he goes to a Clark Cup contender, as does Quinn Finley. They'll get great development out of those experiences. If you're the NHL teams that have the rights to those players, you're excited that they're going to those teams. They're out of a losing environment. And then Madison is now able to kind of start over, hit the reset button a little bit by dealing two of their most valuable players um, in, in a situation where, you know, these are two guys that wouldn't be with the team next year anyway. Um, and the window 
for competitiveness. We talked about this a little bit with the CHL. It's the same thing in the USHL, although it's even tighter. So the USHL, the, the, the window to compete for a lot of these teams is pretty small, unless you have kind of like Chicago's kind of had a, ro- a, a, a just kind of a revolving door of elite players coming through um, because they've, they've done a good job of recruiting and getting those players. But a lot of these teams, especially like you look at a team like Waterloo looking to try to compete for a Clark Cup this year, they've got Sam Renzel, they've got Evan Croto, they've got Jack Spicer, who's been really good. They've got a really good goaltending tandem. They've got good decor. They've got some good veteran players. And then you bring in Amico Matika, and all of a sudden that's a big that's a big boost for your club. So um, really fun to see that deals like that. The USHL doesn't happen very often, but to see two NHL draft picks go to contending teams, that's exciting, and, and it'll make for a more compelling playoffs this year, I think, because there are a lot of teams that, that really have a chance to win the Clark Cup this season. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about the NHL draft now, and I wanted to talk specifically about the NHL Central Scouting Rankings. So their midterm rankings came out last week. Connor Bedard, no surprise, number one North American skater. Perhaps a surprise to some, but probably not for most that are kind of following the draft. Um, Leo Carlson hopped over Matt Vemichkov to be the number one European skater. Uh, Leo Carlson has, has had a phenomenal season, and I think you look at his whole body of work, the fact that he's a 6'3 power forward, uh, can play center or wing. He's scoring at the SHL level. Um, you know, he's probably the guy that you feel like can make a bigger impact. Uh, Matt Vemichkov, who who was recently moved to Sochi via loan from uh, St. Petersburg, he's getting more ice time and he's scoring now. So that's a, you know, he's starting to kind of develop a little bit more, but he also has all the, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Russia this year and how drafting those players comes with a lot of different challenges and specifically a player like Mitchkov, who's under a long-term contract with St. Petersburg and will you know, likely go back there next year after his loan is over. Uh, but a couple other things I wanted to point out about the rankings in addition to the, those, those kind of little moves. Um, will Smith from the National Team Development Program moved up to number three in the Central Scouting midterm rankings. That's kind of in line with what we're seeing. I think a lot of people are putting Will Smith in that top five range he has had a tremendous, uh, production, a tremendously productive season at the national team development program. He just had a five assist game against Madison the other day. Um, you know, he's, uh, just slightly trailing, uh, teammate Gabe Perot and line mate for the scoring lead on the team. They're, you know, hovering close to two points per game. Will Smith is the center of that line. He's got a little bit more, uh, jump in his skating. He also is, you know, one of the most highly skilled and dynamic players of this draft. I think, you know, Bedard is number one in that regard. Will Smith is close, I think, to number two in terms of his dynamic skill level, uh, the things that he can do with the puck, the vision that he has, the plays that he makes. But seeing Will Smith move up, not a huge surprise there. Maybe a surprise for some, and I think this is going to be one of the players that's polarizing throughout the season because he's having a tremendous year. But Andrew Crystal was ranked 16th in North America. There are some people that would say he should be a top 10 pick. There are some people that say he shouldn't be drafted in the first round. That is the wild swing of opinions that you see on a player that is currently second in the WHL in scoring to Connor Bedard. Now, I personally feel like he is a first round draft pick. I don't know yet, and I haven't made my my midterm decisions yet in terms of ranking players, but I don't know exactly where he's going to fall because Andrew Crystal is a highly productive, skilled, smart player. Not an amazing skater. He's average, a little bit below average in terms of size. Um, and but but to see what he's doing in the WHL, it's not nothing. 
The question is, is what does he, where does he fit at the NHL level? A highly productive player, you would say, okay, well, he fits in the top six. Can he keep up with those players? And I'm really excited to go to the CHL top prospects game. And it's not because I'm, I'm not going to judge a player if they have a bad top prospects game or anything like that. But what I do get a chance to see is how they look next to the other elite players of the draft. Now, this is a big year for the WHL. It's a big year with, you know, we've got Zach Benson and Braden Yeager, um, you know, uh, Nate Danielson. There's a lot of high-level players in the WHL. And now we'll have a chance at the CHL Top Prospects game to see everybody on the same ice surface, to see kind of how they look against each other. And that's what I think the real value of those Top Prospects games are. It's not, you know, if, if, if Connor Bedard doesn't score in the Top Prospects game, it's not going to change our opinion about him. Same thing with Andrew Crystal. I think, you know, his what he has to do is just prove – he can hang with that group, and I think he can. And we're going to find out a little bit more uh, going forward here as he goes. But number sixteen in North America, so that's we're talking about you know a potential mid to late first round pick in that range. When you have because Central Scouting splits the the grade, so that's a guy that we're going to be continuing to keep an eye on. I think you know on video, I like what I see. I see a player that has. Really good vision, really good instincts, and you know he's got the points to show for it. Sixty-two points in thirty-six games, pretty darn good. Second only to Connor Bedard. All right. Also, want to talk a little bit about goaltending, North American goaltending this year. There are good goalies available in this draft, and I think that they're going to be. I'm not one hundred percent certain we're going to see a goalie in the first round this year. It's possible. I'm not certain about it. There's a lot of, you know, especially when you get later in that draft, you're never really quite sure what you're going to see. But I do think that, that you know, Carson Bjarnason from the Brandon Wheat Kings, he's going to be a highly drafted player. He was the number one North American goaltender. There's not a lot of consensus on that, though. I wouldn't say that what Central Scouting has is the consensus among the scouting community um, when it comes to the goaltenders. Number two on that list was Michael Harabel, who plays for the Omaha Lancers. Lancers have really struggled this year. Harabel's numbers have taken a hit as a result. But he's had a lot of games where he's kept them in games and under a barrage of shots. And I still think that, to me, he's still the number one guy in terms of overall upside. For a lot of the reasons that we talked about with, with Sebastian Kosa, I think Krabble is a little more polished. I think he's, he has the similar size. He's actually over six foot six right now. Um, and by, by the last measurement, I think six foot six and a quarter. Um, you know, that's a big man, and he moves very well in the net, and he's got really good technique as well. Um, He's just not on a great team right here and right now this year, and that's going to struggle. Next on the list was Trey Augustine, who, if you watch the World Juniors, he became the starter for Team USA. Um, you know, for a goaltender, a little slightly below average and sort of closer to average. You know, it's about six one. Um, you know, so a lot of teams are saying, "Hey, if you're not six two or or taller, we're not looking at you." Uh, but I think Trey Augustine's going to get a lot of looks. He's very sharp. He's only lost a couple of games this season in regulation. Um, he has been, uh, real sharp at, at most times. He did have a couple of bad games at the world juniors, but had more good moments. So we'll see there. And then number four on that list is Adam Guyon, who we talked about is really one of the surprise breakout stars of the world junior championship. And Guyon, uh, is looking good. I mean, he's looking like a guy that we're going to see, um, in, uh, uh, you know, potentially in the, the top two, maybe three rounds, uh, and very well, I mean, he could leapfrog this group. He's playing a little bit in the USHL now on loan. Um, he will go back to the North American League. I believe he's going to play in the North American League's top prospects game as well. Um, so, you know, he's going to have an opportunity 
to, to really turn some heads this season. And, you know, there have been a number of high-level goaltenders that have come out of the North American Hockey League, the most famous of whom is probably Connor Hellebuck, uh, who's got a Vesna Trophy. You know, he played his pre-NCAA years in the North American League. Um, so very intrigued to see where Guyon goes out of the NAHL playing for the Chippewa Steel. Uh, so that's, you know, the shakedown there. Um, don't think you're going to see a lot of European goaltenders going very high. Uh, very small list from Central Scouting there as well. Um, and not a lot of uh, high-end talent there. Most of it is in North America, but that also includes European players like Karabal and Guyon who have come to North America uh, for their goaltending. And also, I think we'll see a number of second-year eligibles drafted this year, Thomas Millick who was the starter for Canada, Thomas Suhanek, who was the starter for Czechia, guys like that. They'll just probably go a little bit later in the draft. All right. So we've gotten through most of the topics, and now I wanted to turn it over to the listeners and get to your questions. Um, there are a number of, of college hockey-related questions. We've got some draft-related stuff, and, um, and a lot of it ties back into NHL prospects. So we will go that way now. Uh, the first question I have is actually a DM, so you're not if you're watching, um, you're not going to see a pop-up on your screen, but this one came from Jonathan, and he asked, what is the status of Frank Nazar and playing the season at Michigan? Based on uh, missing most, if not all, of this season, you expect him at Michigan next year and playing a big part on the next World Junior team. So far, it's been really tough to get kind of uh, the, the latest on Frank Nazar. I haven't had a chance to check in. Um, on uh, on this since I was a little bit busy last week. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what the timeline is. Now, he's missed a ton of time this year with an injury. First-round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I do think, you know, there's, there, there's no rush in where he's going. I think he'll be back at Michigan next season. Um, you know, he does have the option to go to the OHL, but I think if he stuck it out through the injury and everything else, he's in a good place with Michigan. He'll probably be back there next year. I do expect him to play a substantial role for Team USA at the World Juniors. He's one of the most skilled players in his in his age group. And, you know, these guys that get hurt and they miss a season, we kind of forget about them. Um, but I think Frank Nazar, you know, assuming that he's able to return to full health, he'll be in much better shape and, and a guy that can make a contribution. All right, our next one comes from Rackham's Revenge. Um and oh, I'm sorry. Now, actually, this one comes from Jonathan again. Uh, this one was not in DM, so let me go to that. So he he, he asked me. Um, he sent sent the question about Nazar, but any thoughts on Eric Portillo? Does he play another year at Michigan, force Buffalo to trade his rights, or does he sign with the Sabers despite goalie prospect depth? All right. So Eric Portillo is playing for the University of Michigan. He's had a solid season, not amazing, but a solid enough season. Um, and he's a, he's a good prospect. He's a, he's a goalie with size, athleticism. He's got a lot of good tools. He's had some success. Um, and he was drafted by the Buffalo Sabres. Now he's a junior. He played an extra year of junior hockey with the Dubuque Fighting Saints. So that allows him to become a free agent as soon as he decides to leave school, if he does decide to leave school. Um, of the options that Jonathan presented there, I think the least likely, at least in my opinion, the least likely is that he'll sign with Buffalo. I do not think he will sign with Buffalo. I do believe he will go the free agent route um, unless Buffalo manages to trade his rights. Now, we saw that happen last year. Jack McBain made it clear to, to Minnesota that he was not going to sign with them. They traded his rights to Arizona, and then he did sign there. 
Same thing with Nathan Smith. Nathan Smith had made it clear to the Winnipeg Jets he was not going to sign with them. They traded his rights to Arizona, and so he is also with the Coyotes. So Arizona ends up getting two quality prospects, and why did those guys go there? Opportunity. Jack McBain is playing the NHL right now. Nathan Smith isn't, but he's still on an NHL track and is a guy that I think will help the Coyotes down the road. So I do think that Eric Portillo will be testing free agency. I think it's less likely that he'll stay in school. Um, it's not impossible. Uh, he's only been okay this year, but I do think that you know Michigan is probably going to lose a number of their their players in front of them next year. You know, maybe they take a bit of a step back competitive wise, um, and so it might be the time for him to go. The reason that I don't think he's going to sign with the Sabers, you know. Could he beat Devin Levi as a prospect? Could he beat Ukapekalukanen as a prospect? Sure, he could. But when you go to a go to an organization where they are already packed with goalies, whether you're competing with them or not, there are only so many reps to go around. That's a big reason why goalies you'll see maybe they're in a a situation with a team they they don't. You know, they, they don't get as many reps. They won't play as many games in the AHL. So to go to those places, it's not necessarily a fear of competition. It's a developmental decision to, to not sign with a team that has a lot of players in your position. So that's one of the things that I think will be really interesting to watch is does Eric Portillo test free agency? And, and where does he sign? Does he sign with a place where they, you know, maybe they do have a couple of Proven goalies at the NHL level that'll take years to unseat. But you want to play games in the AHL. You want to get practice reps. You want to get, you, you, you know, you want to have an opportunity to get the necessary reps. And a lot of teams, that's why a lot of teams are utilizing the ECHL now for their goaltenders as well. It's why Sebastian Kosa is there. Get them the reps that they need. Game reps, practice reps, everything. And that's the most important thing for a goaltender is just continually getting opportunities. So that's why I feel strongly that Eric Portillo will not sign with Buffalo and will find another place in free agency. And our next question actually deals with this very similar topic. And we'll go to this one. This comes from Rackham's Revenge. With reports of Portillo likely to test free agency, what other NCAA players around the league could have their rights expire and test free agency? There are actually quite a few, but I didn't want to spend a time. I didn't want to spend a time on a lot of them. So Portillo is one, and is a guy that is going to have interest throughout the NHL. There are going to be player teams that are interested in signing him. A couple other guys. So you know, Portillo was drafted in 2018. Uh, guys that were drafted in 2019 also have the ability to um, move on after this season if they're done with college. One guy that came back last year, Aiden McDonough. He is a Vancouver Canucks prospect. He is one of the highest scoring players in terms of goals in the NHL. He's got size. He's got skill. He is a very valuable commodity as a prospect. Vancouver certainly wants to sign him. He will have the option to test free agency, and I think he may. I, I don't have that solidified. You know, I'm not reporting that. I'm just saying that he's going to have the option, and things are a little bit unsettled in Vancouver right now and you look at there's a lot of different things going on in that organization and so McDonough would have an opportunity he's one of their better prospects it's not a very deep prospect system so if he left it wouldn't necessarily be for opportunity because I think the opportunity would exist in Vancouver it might just be a different you know it doesn't it's not always about opportunity sometimes it's like hey you know my uh, the Boston Bruins want to sign me 
Um, you know, I think I'll go that way instead. You know, something like that. I'm not saying that Bruins are an M. McDonough or anything like that. That's just a, an example. But there's also a couple others. This could also happen to the Buffalo Sabres in another way. Uh, Ryan Johnson, defensive, they took late in the first round um, in 2019. There's a chance he might test free agency. You never know because you look at what the the, the decor in Buffalo right now. Where does he fit? Um, you know, they've they've got Owen Power. They've got Rasmus Dahlin. You know, there's not exactly a path or upward trajectory for Ryan Johnson in that system anymore. And if I, I'm pretty sure, too, if he does not sign with Buffalo, they will get a compensatory draft pick because he was a first-rounder. Um, that happened to the Chicago Blackhawks with Kevin Hayes. Um, uh, it's happened, you know, last year the Minnesota Wild decided that instead of signing Philip Jansen, they just took the compensatory pick. Um, and I think that will actually probably – that could potentially happen with the Philadelphia Flyers with Jay O'Brien, who's currently at Boston University, I'm not 100% certain that they're going to sign him. They may just take the draft pick instead um, because there's a little bit more value there um, in that. Another a guy to keep an eye on, Jackson Lacombe from the University of Michigan or Minnesota, decided to come back this year. Uh, Minnesota's got a chance to win a national championship. They've got a great decor. Johnson and Lacombe, big part of that. Um, Lacombe is a draft pick of the Anaheim Ducks. Again, there's opportunity there for him. Doesn't necessarily, you know, it could just be a situation where there's a better, you know, a better fit for him or he might want to go somewhere. So that's another guy to watch. But there are a number of players that are in that position. But I think McDonough, Lacombe, Johnson, Portillo are probably the guys, um, you know, that are that are being watched most closely. And certainly NHL teams have dedicated college scouts now. They have guys that are looking for college free agents and also scouts that are looking specifically at drafted players for guys to acquire in trades, or for this reason, if they hit free agency, then you got a book on them. So those are guys that will be watched. All right, next question, and this is a little bit AHL, NHL related, comes from BB. Where do you think Lucas Reichel is at in his development, given his recent stint in the NHL, and what is a realistic timeline for Kevin Korchinski to get to the NHL? Thanks, always like listening to you on CHGO Blackhawks, what gets you on the show. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy going on doing guest spots with my pals over at CHGO as well. And we did actually talk a little bit about Reichel um, in my last appearance with them. And um, what I what I think, looking at Lucas Reichel, you know, the situation the Blackhawks are in right now is pretty dire in terms of their NHL roster. And so they've kept Lucas Reichel mostly in the AHL this year. And I think it's the exact right spot for him. He's been a dominant player. He's going to be an AHL all-star this year. Um, he is also going to be a guy, you know, he's averaging over a point per game. And I think where he's at in his development is right on track with where he should be because he was a first round draft pick, a highly skilled one, but he had never played North America. So you got it last year, you give him a chance to kind of get his feet wet. This year you're seeing him do it even more and actually taking that step. And then in the most recent NHL games that he played, he was able to make a significant impact. Now he's been sent back to the AHL. I all, here's a term that I absolutely hate when we talk about these specific kinds of players a demotion. When a player gets sent down to the AHL, it is not always a demotion. Sometimes it's actually part of the plan. Sometimes it was always about, let's get him some games in the NHL, we'll send him back. We'll get him a few more games later in the year, and then we'll send him back. If you're the Chicago Blackhawks right now, and you are one of the worst teams in the NHL, it doesn't do you a lot of good to have your players in an environment, your, your players that are going to be important for your future, in that environment where things are a little bit negative and, and it's just, you know, and I don't know what it's like in the dressing room there. A lot of the guys are saying a lot of the right things. 
there are a lot of really good people in that in that group. You look at guys like Jake McCabe and Connor Murphy, who have you know gone through some tough times in their NHL careers with teams, and they always keep that kind of same attitude. Like those are guys that you know are valuable to have around your players. And I use those two guys as examples because I back when I worked at NTDP. That's exactly how they were when when they were 16 years old and 17 years old as well. Just really good guys and guys you want your your players around. Um, and so so I think for Lucas Reichel, he's in the right spot. He's getting the right kind of reps. He's getting a chance to be a top line player um, at the AHL level. He's getting good minutes. He's producing the AHL. Getting those young guys, getting that opportunity, it's a great thing. And that's why I saw somebody use the term demotion for what happened to Lucas Reichel. And I was like, that is clearly not a demotion. This is clearly him getting an opportunity. You know, this is part of his development. And so the AHL is such a valuable, and the ECHL is, is they're valuable leagues to give players that aren't quite there yet the opportunity to finish rounding out. And they learn so much. They're going to get some of the best coaching they've gotten. You know, I think about guys that I've seen just improve. We just saw Matt Boldy sign a huge contract with the Minnesota Wild, a, a large extension. I think the time that he spent in Des Moines with the Iowa Wild was hugely valuable for him going forward. And you got guys like Lucas Reichel who are now having that opportunity. Miko Rantanen is a young player. You know, he he cut his teeth in the AHL. Um, David Pasternak had a great run in the AHL as well. Players that get those opportunities are are going to be better when they reach the NHL. And I think Lucas Reichel. He's a player that I loved in his draft year, and I like him even more now. I think that he's got a chance to be a top six player at the NHL level. It's going to take some time. And it's certainly the Blackhawks also have to have the team within the next couple of years where that actually matters. You know, where, where you know, if they win the draft lottery and get Connor Bedard, suddenly, you know, you're feeling like, oh, we got to get right back into it because we've got this young stud and now we've got Lucas Reichel. We've got other players. You know, you'll have Kevin Korchinski and we'll get to him because I didn't, I didn't want to miss that question. Uh, the realistic timeline for Kevin Korchinski, who is you know defenseman Seattle Thunderbirds, played with uh, Canada at the World Juniors, um, and was the youngest defenseman on their roster. Um, Kevin Korchinski is probably, I would say, he's at least two years away. I think you, you'll see him play in the WHL next year. You'll see him move to the AHL and just kind of a natural progression. He's a bit of a raw talent, but he's highly skilled, a brilliant skater. He's got a lot of ability. Um, he played a kind of a lower level role with Canada last this most recent World Juniors. He'll be a big time player for them next year, a very important player for them next year. So I think that you know he's he's probably got. We'll see unless he takes a big leap next year and maybe he can move into the NHL right from junior. I'm just not 100 percent positive about that. So uh, keep an eye on Kevin Korchinski, though, really good player, and I'm excited about where he's going in his development. And Seattle has a chance to go on a real run here in the WHL. And if, you know, that's going to be great experience for him as well. They loaded up at the trade deadline. They've got a lot of good players. They got Brad Lambert from, uh, uh, from the Winnipeg jets as well. So that now they've got some, some real ability there to, to, to go on a run. That's gonna be great for Kevin Korchinski. All right. Our next question comes from Kevin and this is uh, real early and just for fun. The 2024 draft Celebrini and Iserman front runners. And 2025, McKenna and Misa. Also, do you think Sam Renzel was a reach for Chicago? Anyway, he'd crack the state's roster next Christmas. All right. So we got a lot of questions in one question there from Kevin, but we'll answer them all. Um, as of right now, the 2024 draft, I think you can absolutely say Macklin Celebrini, Cole Iserman are, are top level contenders for the number one pick um, next year. 
Another guy to keep an eye on, Artem Levshunov, who's been a defenseman for the Green Bay Gamblers. Maybe his numbers don't pop as much, but he is looking very good. Um, and a guy that I think could be kind of in that mix. Um, and so uh, as, as a late 2005, um, so keep an eye on him as well. But Macklin Celebrini is having a tremendous season in the USHL, and I don't want to overlook that. He's a 16-year-old playing the USHL. He's likely to accelerate to go to BU next season, so he'll be in college hockey as one of the youngest players in college hockey in his draft season. Um, that'll be a real challenge for him, but I think that he's up to it. He's got good size. He's incredibly intelligent. He has been scoring at will this year. I mean, he's got one of the highest points per game averages in the USHL this season at 16 years old. He's far ahead. Cole Iserman, really going to be interesting to see kind of where he falls because he is a tremendous goal scorer. He's been scoring at will for the National Team Development Program. Um, had a great under-17 world challenge where he was just scoring and scoring and scoring, um, you know, s- setting records. He's going to be really interesting to watch because I think that he's he still needs to work on his skating a little bit. He's kind of on the average size, but he's very strong and he's very skilled. I think the player is exceptional. I think he's going to be a challenger for that. Um, but I think you know you you also have to put in Levshunov. You have to look at a lot of different variables for next year. Um, but you know, there, there are also some young Russian players that we haven't had a chance to see a ton that are going to be interesting, but yeah, I mean, based on what Celebrini's done with the Chicago steel this year, based on what Iserman's doing at the NTDP, it's hard not to put them in, in, in front runner status as for 2025, you know, Michael Misa certainly having a really strong season in the OHL. Um, he was the exceptional status player this year playing at 15. Um, he's actually outpacing. A number of the, the the exceptional players that came before him in terms of points per game with Saginaw right now, um, he had a a, a good enough um, under seventeen World Challenge. I thought he maybe could have been a little bit better, even though he was one of the younger players in the tournament. Um, really interesting there. I think the guy that you you might want to keep a closer eye on for you know first overall as well is James Hagens, dynamic player, incredibly quick. You know, he has has a lot of abilities, and he is just putting up points and points and points at the national team development program as well. Um, so he's got a lot of uh, ability to get up there. Um, so we'll we'll have to see exactly where he goes. Um, but I, I think you know we're still twenty twenty five. We're a little ways out, but those are some really really good players that that we're excited about um, coming up. Not Bedard level, but certainly guys that'll be impact players. Uh, we believe at the next level. Um, the other uh, question you asked is, do you think Sam Renzel was a reach for Chicago? And will he crack the United States roster next Christmas? Um, I mean, I think that Chicago was aggressive in that pick. I had him rated as a first rounder. And I had him rated as a first rounder for the same reason that Chicago took him. And that was because I see a player with incredibly raw talent, high-end skating ability, with size as a right shot defenseman, which is, you know, a, a bit of a scarcity. Chicago, he was also the third pick of Chicago's draft in the first round. He They got Frank Nazar and Kevin Korczynski before him. So you can take those swings. So was it a reach? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of teams would have said, okay, maybe it's a reach. I think that there's he is a long-term prospect. He was always going to be a long-term prospect. He's in the USHL with Waterloo now. He's had a good season. It's not amazing. The numbers aren't going to jump out at you. 
He was good, not amazing at the World Junior A Challenge, but he helped Team USA win a gold medal, and he had some really nice highlights at that tournament. Um, and so I think he's going to be a really good player for them down the road. It's just going to take a long time for that them to really experience what Sam Renzel is going to be able to do for them, or Renzel is going to be able to do for them. As far as cracking the United States roster next season, we always talk about the World Juniors. It's about what you can do right now. I think Renzel is going to have to have a really strong summer camp. I believe he'll be invited. Uh, I'm sure he'll be invited to to the summer evaluation camp. I think he'll also be, um, uh, I think he'll also be, you know, basically one of those guys that has to have a really good camp and has to have a strong first half of the season. He'll be fighting for a spot the whole way. Defense is not the deepest. Um, and we just saw the U.S. go win with a pretty shallow decor in terms of, you know, especially when it came to size. Um, they don't, you know, that's one of the things that Renzel will have over a lot of the other candidates is that he's, you know, he's about six foot four and has that really dynamic skating ability. But, you know, the question will be, how does he handle the pace? And we haven't seen him against college competition yet. He's, you know, he's not a top tier defenseman in the USHL yet. So he's going to be a guy that requires a lot of patience. And that's what Chicago knew when they drafted him. We actually did a, a video feature that you can see on um, that you can see on Flow Hockey. Uh, just search Sam Renzel Flow Hockey and you'll be able to find our video feature. And we talked to Mike Donaghy, the, the chief amateur scout for uh, for the director of amateur scouting for the Chicago Blackhawks. And he said he needs time. And they knew that when they drafted him. They weren't. You know he's probably going to play three at least three years of college hockey, so he's got an extra year of junior plus at least three years of college hockey after his 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 junior season before we even you know and maybe we'll start discussing it after his sophomore year, but I think he's going to be there till at least he's a junior, and then he might you know then we'll see if the, that'll be Chicago. So you know it in a, it's it's a high risk pick with the potential for high reward. And when you have three first-round draft picks, and don't forget, Chicago started that draft day with zero first-round draft picks. They ended up with three. You know, that's the kind of guy where you say, if he pans out, that was a you know a, a home run, right? But we won't know for a while, so it's going to take some time. All right, our last question comes from Ryan Sykes, a USHL expert in his own right, and he asks. Which USHL trade do you see having the bigger impact? Quinn Finley to Chicago or Miko Matika to Waterloo? Great question, Ryan. And I think this is going to be interesting. I think Finley is a little bit, I don't want to say redundant, but he is kind of what Chicago already has. Highly skilled, high-scoring player. The difference is that he has Clark Cup championship experience. He played for Madison last year in the Clark Cup final was great throughout the playoffs. I think the playoff run is really what helped him get drafted as high as he did by New York. Um, he will make an impact. I don't think there's any doubt about that. However, I think that the guy that, you know, I, I feel like Miko Matika is a hand-to-glove fit for Waterloo. I had heard a number of teams were in the Miko Matika sweepstakes, but I think that he is a hand-to-glove to Waterloo. He's a He can play with pace and, and and he's not he's not super fast but he can he can play with enough pace that that they and he's got the size and he's got just the the scoring sense in this league and this is his first season in North America um Waterloo also has a big a bit of a bigger ice sheet so that would also potentially play um well for for Matika but at the same time I just think he's a really good player 
they're a good team and they needed something more. They, you know, I feel like it, when it came to scoring, they got the fourth leading score. So I think of those two picks, you know, I think Finley is going to have a lot of points. He's going to make a huge impact, but I think that Matika could be um, the higher impact player of those two, given the situation that he's walking into with Waterloo. So I think it's a great spot for them. Great to see USHL teams making those big kind of swings and going for uh, a championship and also making sure, you know, that the players, it's a right fit for them as well for their development. So I think that that's really good. So that is uh, it for the questions for today. And I thank you all for asking them because they are always really good and they allow me to opine. And, and then they also allow me to fill time on this podcast because, uh, you know, I'm flying solo and I will have more guests as time goes on, but you know, there's a lot of different things that we're trying to do at Flow Hockey right now. And so it takes a lot of different time. And I hope that you're enjoying the podcast, even though it's just me and also answering these questions because, boy, you guys ask really, really good questions. And we could talk about a lot of different things that way. And so I really appreciate all of you that bring it in. All right. So we're pretty much done for this week. We'll have a lot to talk about next week. The All-American Prospects game uh, is happening the day that we're recording this. The uh, ECHL All-Star Games coming up. We've got the CHL Top Prospects on the way. A lot coming up. A lot of draft kind of stuff coming too. Um, my draft rankings won't be out until February. So my midterm, I'm waiting until after I go to the Top Prospects game, get a few more live viewings of some players before I add my updated um, draft rankings. But you'll be able to see that on Flow Hockey um, coming in February. So stay tuned for that. And then also, make sure you are subscribed to flow sports. You can get so many games on a given day. We've got college hockey. We've got pro hockey. We've got junior hockey and a lot more coming. So I'm really excited about that. Make sure you also check out that Toledo walleye mini doc that we've got coming out on flow hockey this week. And we're just going to keep rolling right along. Lots of content to come on flowhockey.tv. So I want to say a special thanks to Colt Joyce for producing today's episode. I want to say a special thanks to all of you for listening and for sending in your questions. And I hope that you'll be back with us next week as we talk more on Talking Hockey Sense. My name's Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.